Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. What's up, Browns fans? Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. I am your host, Jake Burns. We are giving you another weekend bonus content edition. If you missed yesterday, we were lucky enough to be joined by Brent Sobleski as we went through the offensive line and some key decisions to be made there. Obviously, important guys back, but some key decisions to be made at the bottom of that group because there are a ton of NFL-quality offensive linemen on this roster, so some tough choices will have to be made and uh, especially at what they do with backup center slash guard if Michael Dunn or Nick Harris is going to be the answer. So go back and listen to that. Uh, Sobo used to be with the OBR for a long time, solely committed to the Bleacher Report now where he does uh, great work and ton of good insights, good conversations to be had there. We are going to shift again to the final leg of our AFC Contender Series. We've done the Bills, Chiefs, we've done the Colts. This is the last team that I think is a realistic team, obviously outside of the uh, division conversations that we had. But I want to talk about the Tennessee Titans, who went 11-5, and won the AFC South, and uh, lost the wild card to Baltimore, but had um, a really nice run, a really good group, and I think, again, I think they're set up to be pretty good. Some defensive question marks are there, but they got Julio Jones, they have a strong offense, Ryan Tannehill, A.J. Brown, it's going to be a fun conversation. We are going to have uh, our guest host, who anytime I talk Titans... I will usually bring him on. I think he does fantastic work uh, over a Broadway breakdown. His name is at Mike Miracles on Twitter. His name is Mike Herndon. I think he does, again, a great job at Broadway, Tennessee, which is a place that covers a lot of Tennessee sports. So check that out again, at Mike Miracles on Twitter. Here we go. Let's get over to this conversation, which is a long one, but a good one. Very in-depth conversation about the Titans. Mike, really appreciate you taking some time and joining us today, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's good to be back on. We're getting close. Camp's right around the corner. You're the last one up. Uh, the last team that, that we have talked to on this podcast uh, as a means to figure out who the real contenders are in the AFC. And I think as far as the South goes, I think Tennessee is the leading favorite to win the South. Less questions than many of the other teams. And I think there are two non-competitives in the division. So... I think the leg up on the Colts is real. So talk to me about how last year ended. Was it a success, failure, kind of what the collective feeling was when last year came to an end? Yeah, you know, it was kind of a mixed bag, to be honest. I mean, they on one hand, they won the division 11-5 uh, and five for the first time uh, since uh, 2008 was the last time they'd won the division uh, before last season. So, you know, on that on that hand, you know, that, that's a successful season. Um but you're coming off an AFC championship game appearance in 2020 uh, or in 2019 um, and to get bounced in the first round in a home playoff game to the Ravens who had done that to this franchise twice uh, before in the playoffs within the last, you know, 20 years or so. Um, it was left a little bit of a sour taste in everyone's mouth. So I, I think, if you asked uh, most Titans fans and, and most people who follow this team, I, I'd say you'd you'd qualify the regular season as a, as a success, but 
uh, you know, they failed to, to make moves or make waves in the playoffs like they did the year before. And that kind of left everyone feeling a little a little let down at the end of the season. Well, I think what's interesting is what what the offensive change has been and where it's gotten to. We'll talk defense and where you think they end up, but the offense should be really good. And the crux of the offense being good is replacing Arthur Smith. Arthur Smith, obviously, two years ago, I remember coming into Cleveland at the beginning of that 19th season, talking about what Arthur Smith would do to replace Matt LaFleur goes to Green Bay. I'm sort of curious, was LaFleur ever considered to be a head coaching candidate for the Titans at one point? And then... Sort of how do you feel about replacing Arthur Smith? What is that stand? Because I, I guess what I'm getting at is, would you see LaFleur in Green Bay? Was it like he got away? Because now you you we love Vrabel. Vrabel's obviously does a lot of great things. But this trend in the NFL of offensive-minded uh, head coaches and the stability, the stick with it that comes. Because then, you know, Arthur Smith gets hired because everybody wants a smart offensive mind. And then there's some of that turnover that can happen there between your offensive system. So I'm just sort of curious. I don't even know. I'm out in the weeds with my question, Mike. Like, is LaFleur going to Green Bay? Was that thing that Titans fans look back and they're okay with? And then back to Arthur Smith, how do you replace him? What's the plan? Yeah, so and I think LaFleur getting hired as a as a head coach was a little bit of a surprise. You know, I, I know he had interviewed for a couple jobs, including the Titans uh, head coaching job before they hired Mike Vrabel uh, during that cycle, I guess, before the uh, 2018 season. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, we knew he was at least on the radar, but the Titans offense was not good. Uh, the one year that he was here. Now, there are a lot of uh, qualifying remarks that go along with that statement, right? He had uh, an injured uh, Marcus Mariota to deal with for most of that year. And and now that we've made a change at quarterback uh, or or seen a change made at quarterback over the last couple of years, we now know Mariota was likely holding them back at least to some degree. So Mm -hmm. it was – Kind of a mixed bag, but there was also weird stuff like the Titans had leaned on DeMarco Murray quite a bit in 2017, um, and Derrick Henry seemed to be coming on, and and he would spell Murray, but they never really gave Henry a full load. Well, when LaFleur came in, he fell in love with with Deion Lewis, who they signed in free agency to kind of be a complement to Henry, and, and Lewis was the one a to Henry's one B in that backfield as crazy as that seems, uh, to, to today, um, you know, just, you know, 2018, that was the case. Um, and it was frustrating because a lot of people watching this team were, were going, what is the fascination with Dion Lewis? Like, I know he was coming off of a pretty good year with the Patriots the year before, but the inability to ever really go to Henry until the very end of the year, and then you saw Henry start ripping off these huge games uh, and, and the Titans went on a little winning streak and nearly pushed themselves into a playoff uh, uh, position. You know, they ended up coming up just short, but that that was kind of maddening for a lot of uh, people that follow this team too. So I think LaFleur leaving was a little bit of a surprise after one year and, and without that year being that great. I think most people... Most Titans fans wanted him back because they they believed in the system, which is really the system they still have, um, which is very much that Shanahan, McVay, Gruden, West Coast play action, you know, style offense, a lot of outside zone stuff, obviously. Um, so they they, I, I think most Titans fans were sold on the system, but not necessarily sold on the floor. 
Um, but they wanted to see what that growth would look like in year two in the same offense. And, and part of the context with Mariota had always been, well, they change coordinators basically every year. So he can't ever get comfortable in a system. He can't ever really get to be, uh, you know, reach his potential because they're constantly changing the offense. And so LaFleur leaving was like, well, crap, now they're going to have to adjust to another coordinator. Um, and of course, Arthur Smith was smart in that he kept the bones of, of what Matt LaFleur did uh, install in Tennessee. And he didn't reinstall a new offense. He just built back on, you know, more wrinkles onto what LaFleur left behind. And, and you saw him do that a little bit in 2019. And then in 2020, they made some more adjustments. So like, you know, they were so outside and inside zone heavy um, in 2019. And then in 2020, they ran duo more than anyone else in the NFL. So it was a duo outside zone combination uh, in the run game. So it was he, – he definitely added wrinkles. He definitely kind of put his own stamp on it. Um, and I think that, that we're probably going to see Todd Downing do a, a very similar thing. I, think, I don't think he's going to go back and install a Todd Downing offense – I think it's going to be the offense that that LaFleur originally installed. It's going to be the same language, uh, and it's just going to be building on and adding on to what Arthur Smith uh, laid the groundwork for, which was obviously wildly successful um, over the last two years for the Titans. So um, that's a long answer to say that, that I think while the offensive coordinators have changed, the Titans have actually maintained a pretty good amount of scheme continuity uh mm-hmm. over the last few years arthur smith has had obviously been in the building for i think eight years before he took on the the coordinator job um so he had a ton of uh you know just history with the players and everything and downing has been here for two years already uh heading into year three so he's he knows this roster he knows the players um he was actually their guy you know that led the meetings led the install for their third down and red zone offense which uh, if you followed the Titans pretty closely over the last couple of years, their red zone offense was absolutely electric the last couple of years. They they yeah. finished with a uh, 70% plus uh, red zone touchdown conversion rate in each of the last two years, which is the first time anyone's done that in back-to-back years since I could find uh, red zone uh, specific statistics. So, it, you know, wildly impressive results in those phases of the game. Now, obviously taking on a coordinator role and being the play caller is a different deal altogether, but there is some reason to have some optimism around downing and, and to add kind of the final piece to this Vrabel, that that was one of the big drawbacks with, with hiring Vrabel for a lot of people was that he was a defensive coach and you were going to be subject to this offensive churn uh, over the years. And, And unless you strike, you know, a lucky situation like the Patriots have with McDaniels who just has not left for whatever reason, even though he's had opportunities Um, you're just not going to have a lot of continuity on that side of the ball. But what I, I think we've realized over the last three years and talking to coaches who have come and gone and, and been around the program is that Vrabel has a lot of influence on the offensive side of the ball. I know you know people aren't going to give him credit for that because he's quote-unquote a defensive guy, played defense, coach defense, all that stuff. Um, but Dean Pease out and out said, when I was the defensive coordinator, Vrabel spent 90% of his time with the offense. Um, <laughs> so that is something that I don't think Vrabel necessarily gets enough credit for is – 
the influence that he does have on the Titans offense. Um, obviously the defense has gone the wrong direction and he should, you know, share in some blame for that as well. Um, but I do think the Titans, uh, despite the kind of revolving door at offensive coordinator have managed to keep some continuity continuity. And I think that's a large part in credit to Vrabel who has, you know, found a system he likes and continue to adapt it and evolve it. Yeah. Credit there for sure. And, you know, Vrabel's like a Mike Tomlin in that sense where he's the ultimate motivator. He's got he's got plans. He's an overseer. He seems to have assistant coaches that trust trust him and believe in his vision, which is something Cleveland, you know, people talked about this for so long with Cleveland, which was like how the players view the coach, but it's how your coaches view your coach because your coaches filter the message down and that's what matters. And and if your coaches aren't bought in, that was something I noticed with Freddie Kitchens right away. Your coaches aren't bought in. Why why would your players buy in? So Vrabel's definitely one that fights that and, and credit to the to the continuity stuff because if you're going to have, you know, offenses that produce offensive coordinators who do well, it's just a, a de facto those guys are gonna get hired away. So you gotta keep the scheme the same and build in house and I, I'm, I didn't recall people being all too excited about Arthur Smith taking that job, you know, from folks no. I talked to. So you never know how these things are going to shake out. But largely, like you said, it depends on quarterback play. And Ryan Tannehill has been phenomenal. Like, do you think he is perpetually disrespected in this league compared to – Tannehill is like what I would love Baker to get to. I think he can from a production and efficiency standpoint. I think he's getting – he's going to be in that direction with some offensive continuity – but Tannehill, man, like, the guy deserves more respect. Is that something that the fan base is fighting for? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and it's kind of a a, a constant um, battle for, for Titans fans to some degree because, you know, we, we've we watched him, you know, now every, every week for for almost two full seasons and, and several playoff games in there too. And um, what we've seen is a guy that, I mean, he almost never – has a game where he just is completely off. He's been incredibly efficient. He's taken care of the ball. He's put up crazy numbers. I mean, if you look, I mean, the guy accounted for 40 touchdowns last year. He had 33 through the air, seven on the ground. Um, that's a huge level of production for a guy. And look, I, I know everyone just goes directly to Derrick Henry and says, all right, well, Derrick Henry's a monster and anybody <laughs> you put anybody with a monster in the backfield like that. And they're going to, you know, look way better than they are. It's the same look, discussions Derrick we Henry have over did, here, man. It's the same, the same thing. <laughs> and it's crazy because if you look at what the Titans offense was doing, like we have a sample size of what the Titans offense looks like with Derrick Henry without Brian Tannehill. And it was not good. They they benched Marcus Mariota six games into the 2019 season, and they were averaging 16 points per game on offense. They put in Tannehill. They averaged over 30 ever since. I mean, and that started immediately when Ryan Tannehill came into the, the lineup. So I guess my my retort to anybody who throws out the, well, it's just because of Derrick Henry, it's just because of the supporting cast. Look, Derrick Henry and that supporting cast – all of a sudden looked awfully like an awful lot better when Ryan Tannehill went under center. And I don't think that's a coincidence. And I think people, we have uh, enough splits to look at the data and say, look, Ryan Tannehill made a huge difference. And he made a huge difference for Arthur Smith too, who was the offensive coordinator for those first six games with Mariota. When they went, they went a stretch at one point where they scored like seven points, 
24 points, seven points, and zero points over a four-week stretch. So, like, the the 24-point game was a huge outburst. A 24-point game is a disappointment right now for the Titans. So, um, this offense has been electrified by Tannehill, and, and I don't know what else people want him to do. I mean, he's accurate. Uh, he's got a good arm. He's mobile. He's tough. He's in the biggest weakness and the biggest gripe that I had him after uh, about him after the 2019 season was that he took too many sacks, which has always been an issue in his uh, career and that he just didn't have a great pocket presence. And that was something he improved leaps and bounds this past season. If you look at the Titans, any of the advanced metrics where whether you look at like pass block win rate or anything like that, the, the Titans were not a great pass blocking offensive line last year. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that Taylor Lewan tours ACL in week five and they, and they lost his backup a couple weeks after that. So they were playing a third string left tackle who started the season on a practice squad and was 30 years old, had played like 60 NFL snaps uh, before he took over the starting left tackle job at the end of last season. Their right tackle was also a journeyman guy who, you know, it, it was mostly a career backup and ended up, you know, starting last season mostly because Isaiah Wilson could not get his life together uh, off the field. So they they didn't have great tackles. They didn't have great pass protection. They did a lot scheme-wise to try to hide that. But the biggest credit, I think, should go to Ryan Tannehill, who showed a more advanced understanding of where to go to the ball, where to go with the ball when pressure arrives in 2020 than he did in 2019. Like it was a clear difference as somebody who watched every snap and watched the tape and everything else like that. It's clearly something he focused on and improved upon. Even, you know, though you don't think about a a 32 year old quarterback suddenly improving on stuff, but he, he is still working, getting better. Um, So I I think Tannehill, I I don't know what else, people need him to do i guess he needs to do it in a playoff game i I think that's probably the one legitimate gripe people have towards him um you know the 2019 run they leaned so much on henry just because i mean frankly when you're running back ripping off six and a half yards per carry why would you throw the ball that much um so they they really leaned on henry and then didn't have that extra gear to match Mahomes in the AFC championship game, but you know, most, most teams don't. Um, and then in 2020, uh, they did, they leaned on Henry again and the Ravens sold out to stop Henry. Um, and, and I really think Arthur Smith left some meat on the table because they early in that game, if you go back and watch it, that, AJ Brown was eating the Ravens up and, and he was just winning one-on-one matchups constantly. They were just feeding AJ Brown. They marched down the, the field. They score a touchdown. They end up going, to, going up 10, nothing in that game. Um, and then it felt like the Titans just decided, all right, we're up 10 points. We are just going to run this game into the ground and lean on Henry and the Ravens. were just not going to let them do that. Uh, and they never got back to the the passing game, and they never got back to AJ Brown. And I felt like that was a huge missed opportunity for them to open up the passing game. So if there is one thing that Todd Downing changes about this offense, I hope it's that they expand the passing game, and they have a pretty good excuse to do so now that they also have Julio Jones across from AJ Brown. Yeah, we're going to talk about Julio uh, for sure. I mean, that's the biggest addition. Should mention quarterback backed up by Logan Woodside. Sean Kaiser, our old boy, floating around, um, just like just like ninety eight percent of the NFL. Let's hope you don't have to see those guys on the field. Um, 
It's Derrick yeah, Henry. Absolutely. We we know Derrick Henry. It, listen, your quarterback arguments, me or our quarterback arguments, uh, where it's just everyone thinks you can plug and play Johnny from the street to play quarterback with these running backs, and they think it's going to work. Derrick Henry's fighting for respect when he shouldn't have to. Nick Chubb does the same thing. We know how great Derrick is. You can expound on Derrick a little bit there. and Talk to me about the guys behind him now because some, some names that aren't as well known there. Yeah, so, you know, Derrick Henry is obvious. He, he's a monster. He's 6'3", he's 250 pounds. He runs, you know, it, the ESPN stat that came out this past week uh, that, that had him as the he, – he hit the line of scrimmage at an average of like I think it was like 10.5 miles per hour, which was faster than any running back in the NFL with at least 150 carries last year. So the guy is not only huge, but he's a freight train. Uh, and of course this, the stiff arm, the length of his arms, you know, make him just really a nightmare to tackle on the perimeter because if, if he can get that arm extended, there's just no way to get into his legs. And if you've got to go up high, there's just not a whole lot you're going to do against him. So he's, uh, an extreme talent and, and everyone knows that. So, I mean, nobody's going to argue that Derrick Henry's not talented. The one thing that comes up with him now is, well, the durability, is he going to be able to sustain it now that he's you know coming off a year where he had, I think, 370 or 380 carries, somewhere around there. And, you know, he had 380-plus carries the year before, if you include the playoffs, when they, you know, gave him the ball 30-plus times, I think, three games in a row. Um, so I just – I'm at the point now with Derrick Henry where he is such a physical freak – he takes care of his body, unlike, you know, I, all NFL players take care of their bodies, obviously. Henry does it to a level that is extreme, um, and he has shown zero signs of slowing down. He he doesn't, and I've said this for several years now, and, and you know, I kind of knock on wood when I do it, but look, the guy, I can count the number of times he's even been slow to get up on a tackle on, like, one hand in his entire career, you know, and, and he's just a physical marvel um, and he hasn't had any major injuries, anything like that, that, that would make you think, um, that, you know, the end might be sooner to the, rather than later or anything like that. He's only 27 years old. I think this guy's got another year or two left in him at a really high level. Um, and yeah, I, I just, I don't see the breakdown coming, um, behind him. One of the more interesting guys on this roster to me, Darrington Evans, their third round pick from 2020, this is going to sound like a broken record every time I talk about any of the Titans 2020 draft class. He was injured almost all of last year. He came in, he had a hamstring issue. They tried to get him back out on the field, uh, I think against Buffalo in week five. And then uh, he re-aggravated the hamstring issue, went back on the shelf, didn't show up again to the very end of the year. He, he made uh, a little bit of a cameo in the Lions game, got some touches because they were up big late and, and they were able to work him into the screen game and stuff like that, which was pretty impressive. What stands out to him, I mean, he's, you know, six foot 200, smallish back, uh, but he is electric burst. Like he, he was four, four uh, flat guy, um, has very obvious burst when when he steps on the field you see an obvious change of pace in his acceleration specifically so um i'm interested to see what they do with him because i think the plan you know peter king had a, a he visited titans training camp in 2020 before the season and one of his big nuggets that he came away from 
that visit with was that he thought Darrington Evans was the X factor on the Titans offense. And, and they never ended up getting to implement that last year. Um, and he, Peter King's uh, report was that he thinks they could use him like a poor man's Alvin Kamara. Now, obviously, I don't think he's as good as Alvin Kamara. Uh, not even close. But I think he can be used in a similar way in the passing game, in the screen game, um, and then also spelling Derrick Henry and trying to keep some carries off of him. Because as much as Derrick Henry is a freak and is a, a just absolute workhorse, I think it is in the Titans' best interest to keep his legs relatively fresh heading into the end of the season. So they, they want him in January to feel at his best. So I think we're going to see a good bit of Darrington Evans this year. I think he is going to be the primary backup. I think he's going to get some third down work. Um, and I, I'm excited to see what they can do with a screen package for him because he is a guy that could be a, a big-time explosive play guy for them uh, catching the ball out of the backfield. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, well, let's talk pass catchers then uh, because it's it's huge. I mean, this offense is it's riddled with names. Julio comes in to join AJ Brown. We all think AJ Brown is is well on his way to being classified in that top tier of NFL receivers. Um, we we know those two. I guess I'll start with: Were you surprised they ended up getting Julio? How excited are you about those two paired together? And then who's sort of the third and fourth guys that come into the fold? Yeah, so I was a little surprised that they ended up getting Julio just simply because um, you know it didn't feel like. A, a Titans move to make, you know, they tend to be a little bit more conservative, not like a, a go for it kind of franchise, or at least they haven't been uh, during most of their time in Nashville. But I think that's kind of changed a little bit because of how close they've been the last couple of years. I think John Robinson, the, the general manager knows that this roster is not far off and, and look, I, I think they tried to address wide receiver several times uh, before, uh, getting to the point where they traded for Julio, I, I think they would have liked to take a wide receiver in the draft, but it didn't necessarily fall that way. They ended up getting Des Fitzpatrick in the fourth round, but um, you know, I don't think he's a guy that you want to step in right away to contribute. Um, but I think everyone knew that they had to do something because you know Corey Davis left in free agency. They didn't really have a whole lot else. You know, Adam Humphreys was released. Um, and he had been so injury riddled over the last two years that, it, you know, most people almost forgot he was 
on the team. Um, so you basically had AJ Brown and nothing else. Um, and everyone was looking at it going, you know, Hey, who's going to catch balls besides AJ Brown? Cause Johnny Smith left as well. You really, you're without your, you know, second, third and fourth target in the passing game. Now, you know, that's a big void to fill. And, and Julio, once we got to the point where it was like, it seemed like a Julio trade was real and the Titans still hadn't feel, filled any of those wide receiver spots or, or pass catching spots to any degree. I, at that point, I was like, okay, the Titans are the team that makes the most sense for Julio at this point. And, you know, it, it came together, you know, relatively slowly. It was kind of like, you know, the Titans continued, the rumor mill continued to pick up Titans, Titans, Titans. And then uh, it ended up happening, of course. And, and obviously everyone here is thrilled. I mean, it, I think there's probably more buzz in Nashville around the Titans upcoming season than there has been since, you know, probably the year after the, the Super Bowl loss, um, back in, you know, 99, 2000. So it's been a while, um, since they've had this high of expectations. I, I think the expectations are that you absolutely win the division and that you, uh, you know, push deep into the playoffs. Um, and, and that's kind of where the, the level is set for this team now. Um, and Julio is a part of that. I mean, they, it's going to be fantastic, I think, because, and, you know, the Browns have had kind of a similar experience, I think, over the last 20 years, but the Titans have struggled and struggled to find those elite receivers. I mean, they had Derek Mason in the early 2000s, but since then, I mean, they spent first round picks on guys like Kendall Wright, uh, you know, Kenny Britt. Uh, it spent high picks on Justin Hunter and, um, Doriel green Beckham and all these other guys that just turned out to be bums. And it just felt like this position was cursed for this franchise. And then they go get AJ Brown and now they have AJ Brown and Julio Jones. And it just feels surreal for Titans fans to look at this offense and go, wow, we have two of arguably the top, you know, five to 10 wide receivers in the NFL, on the same roster all of a sudden. And, and that goes with, you know, arguably the best running back in the NFL behind them. Um, this is going to be pretty fun. So I, everyone's pretty fired up about it. I'm excited to see it certainly um, and, and see what kind of fireworks they can put up on offense uh, this fall. Um, but, you know, I, and I also think it helps that Josh Reynolds, who they had signed in free agency before from the Rams, it pushes him down to kind of a, that wide receiver three spot. I think he's probably going to see a good bit of their uh, their work in the slot, uh, kind of as a big slot um, player for them. Uh, they like size, frankly, on offense. I mean, they, obviously Henry, but then AJ Brown and Julio are huge. Uh, their offensive line is big, so they they're a very big offense. And Josh Reynolds at six three is you know adds to that a little bit. So. I think Josh Reynolds will be the the third uh, receiver. And then, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see who really becomes that next rotational guy. I think Des Fitzpatrick, their draft pick, um, has a chance to be that. I think Mason Kinsey, uh, who was an undrafted guy last year, could sneak into the rotation as kind of a slot receiver, uh, more of the the shifty, smaller slot receiver type uh, that that is kind of more prototypical for that that spot. But um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see beyond, but I think the very big bulk of the, the targets are going to go to, uh, AJ Brown, Julio, and then, uh, Josh Reynolds and the tight end, Anthony Ferkser. 
Yeah, talk real quick about tight end. Obviously, John Smith leaves. Um, you can be concise on this, but is Ferks are a guy you guys trust? Is it's an important role in this offensive structure? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Ferkser's not a, a big time blocker. He's a little bit undersized, 6'3", 245 type guy. Um, but as a pass catcher, he's excellent. He's he's really he's a better pass catcher than Johnny Smith. He's not as good after the catch, but route running, uh, ability to get open, um, good hands, all that stuff. He checks all those boxes. So I, I don't think from a passing standpoint, we have to worry about Ferkser. I think Jeff Swaim is going to handle most of the heavy lifting on the blocking side of things. And and Ferkser will probably be hidden a little bit uh, if they do go 12 personnel, which they've used a lot in the last few years. So um, it, tight ends at kind of an interesting spot for them. If there's a uh, weak spot on the roster, I'd say tight end is it right now, though I do think Ferkser will put up pretty good numbers in the passing game. Some names are still recognizable. Luan on the offensive line, Saffold. Where's the group for you guys? How do you feel about it? I think Kendall Lamb comes over from Cleveland, who we liked a lot as a depth tackle. Be interested to see some of these depth charts I look at, which are obviously nonsensical. Have him listed as a starter. What does the front five look like? Yeah, you know, getting Lawan back is huge for this team. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, he was out most of last year, uh, and he's you know three time Pro Bowler. He's still a really good player coming back from an ACL injury, but you know, obviously, all, all reports are that he's in you know phenomenal shape and and set to be able to be ready for the start of training camp. So Lawan Saffold, um, are rock solid. That's, that's, you know, among the top, probably four or five left sides, um, in my opinion, in the NFL Saffold does so much for them in the run game. He is, um, an absolute mauler and he's athletic enough to climb up on those linebackers, um, as well. So he is a huge part of their run game. Uh, Ben Jones is solid and steady at center. Uh, you know, he, he is as consistent a player as there is in the NFL. Um, you know, probably had his best year as a pro last year at age 31, I think. Yeah. Is it 31. So he's not a problem. Nate Davis, their right guard is really developed into a really good player. Um, in heading into his third year in the league now, um, I think those four, you feel really good about the question is right tackle um, and lamb and their second round pick Dylan Radins from North Dakota state are, are kind of the two guys that we feel like are primed to battle it out in camp for that spot. Early returns on Radins have been positive and I think they'd love for him to take that job and run with it. Uh, though lamb will probably be getting first reps uh, initially in camp and it'll be up to the rookie to unseat him. But that's, that's going to be the question spot is that right tackle position. Should still be an electric offense, one of the league's premier groups. I think, uh, again, the way they structure offense, the way some of this group is put together, it's certainly a top-heavier wide receiver group, better there. But just similar, Tennessee and Cleveland really really mirror each other in, in splitting the last two matchups. I thought it was pretty obvious that, that those two teams were not as good as it seemed. You know, those the gap was wide in both games, and I'm like, I don't think there's that big a gap on these teams. I think it's just like you catch one on the right day and you see what happens. Well defensively a lot of change right especially secondary wise let's let's start up front you know obviously Clowney comes to Cleveland I should get your unfiltered opinion on him I know it was injury riddled last year what you thought of him when he was playing um and and then talk about your guys up front too I know Harold Landry we've loved and Jeff Simmons we've loved from a from an on-field standpoint and draft process stuff so uh curious how you think it is going into this year yeah, so um, as far as Clowney goes, I, 
you know, Clowney hasn't made too many friends uh, in Nashville. Um, just the way he's acted really since he uh, left the Titans. I mean, he showed up and part of the problem is, you know, they signed him a week before week one, right? Last year. And, and he shows up, he's coming off of, uh, you know, and uh, I think it was a, a hernia surgery or something like that, that he'd had the previous off season. And he immediately looked gassed, right? The first few games. So it, it, you know, he comes in, he's sure he's in shape, but he is immediately looking gassed. He looks like a guy that skipped all the training camp. Um, and so that was a problem initially. And especially it was compounded by the fact that Vic Beasley wasn't ready to start the season. Uh, the Titans didn't have really any depth um, behind Clowney and Landry. So Clowney was being asked to play a ton of snaps and he was clearly looking winded and gassed towards the end of games. And the production just never showed up. Right. And then, then the knee injury popped up and then he missed a couple games. He came back and then, and then he decided to shut it down. Um, and ended up obviously zero sacks. Um, you know, had, had decent pressure numbers actually when, when he was in there, but, um, part of the problem and part of the negative with him with when he was here, at least was he just seemed to be freelancing a lot, especially in the run game. He would jump in and out of gaps, uh, and occasionally just abandon, uh, containment on, on runs out to the edge, trying to shoot a gap and get inside to make a play like a tackle for loss or something like that. So there was some frustration there with just his, um, undisciplinedness, uh, in, in, the scheme in general. And then, you know, he just, there would be stuff like he got a free run on a blitz against J uh, Joe Burrow in the game against the Bengals. And Clowney was literally untouched coming up the middle. Um, and Burrow shakes him, makes him miss, and then goes and completes like a, a long pass for a third and 12 conversion or something like that. And it was just stuff like that that just, kept piling on the frustration and then he goes and makes comments that kind of you know talk down about the titans after he left and you know talking about how uh you know cleveland won more games or whatever so he felt like he was going to a uh, you know upgrade or whatever so it's like yeah fine you know you won, won one more game um <laughs> but you missed half the season like are, are you it was just kind of a frustrating thing for titans fans to listen to him after he you know shows up produces nothing gets hurt, leaves, uh, kind of try to talk down on the organization, um, as, as if it was like some loser franchise after they just won the division and everything. So it was just kind of, uh, yeah, there's a lot of sour feelings in Tennessee for, for clowning now. Um, but I do think for, for you guys sake, the fact that he signed early and is going through off season and going to be in training camp will help tremendously. I, I think that'll put him in a better position to, produce than what he was in here but you know that was of his own doing um and playing across from miles garrett won't hurt either but uh as for the titans guys this year up front simmons uh you you can feel the breakout coming like the flashes are special um he was you know kind of playing through a knee injury his rookie year uh last year he he was a little bit dinged up and then Interestingly, he got COVID um, during the Titans' big outbreak early in the season, and he was a monster in those first few games before he went on the COVID list. And then when he came back off the COVID list, 
he just didn't quite seem the same. Like it, maybe he lost a little bit of his conditioning. I know Miles Garrett has talked extensively about COVID affecting him and his ability to, you know, catch his breath and his conditioning yeah. and stuff like that. So I, I think there may have been some of that there with Simmons, although you'll never get him to admit it. Um, but I, I can feel the breakout coming with that guy. He is a special, special talent on the inside. Um, and he had no help last year either. Landry, I think is a good player. He hasn't been put in the best positions um, for the Titans because they ask him to play all the time because, you know, they they had Clowney, they had Beasley, then they, you know, Cl- Clowney went on IR, Beasley got cut, and then they were basically playing like warm bodies across from Landry the rest of the season. So it was uh, just not a good situation with the pass rush at all last year. I still think Landry's a talent. Um in a good player and in a good all around player. Like he plays a pass, he plays the run, uh, he rushes the passer pretty well. So he, he does a little bit of everything for him. Um, but Bud Dupree coming in to play opposite him. If Dupree can give them more of what they thought they were going to get from Clowney last year, I think that makes a huge difference for them up front. And then of course they also added Danico Autry, who I think was one of the best value signings, probably the Titans best value signing of the off season. Um, and he's going to be slotting in next to Jeffrey Simmons up front to kind of give them a little bit more punch as an interior pass rusher as well. Uh, and that's a guy who has, you know, 20 sacks over the last three years combined. So um, it's a more talented front this year. It'll be interesting to see how it all comes together. A lot of new parts and pieces, obviously. But um, that's that's one of the things that the Titans absolutely have to get better at is they have to be able to get after the passer. Um, and they made a lot of effort to do that. Um, I should also mention they – drafted Rashad Weaver in the uh I guess it was in the fourth round uh out of Pitt who they think is uh is going to be able to contribute pretty early uh as a kind of rotational edge as well yeah if I recall the pressure numbers weren't too kind last year especially um you know when Clowney went down and I think that was just one of the metrics that people were pointing to so yeah definitely some improvements there if Simmons can get back to who he was you're spot on Miles has been pretty extensively um, laying out what happened to him and, and how weird it felt for his body and his lungs and all of that. So linebacker and Bud Dupree, listen, I should, before we go on, Bud Dupree, who we're accustomed to in the AFC North, if he finally figured it out his last two years, I, I don't know how he's doing with knee surgery, recovery, all of that stuff, but if he comes back to be who he was and, you know, if they allow him to go crazy off the edge the way Pittsburgh does, that's a dangerous football player, man, who will only help, who will only help pass rush numbers and, 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 uh, we'll shift to kind of linebacker. Uh, it, it's similar names. They they they've kept Evans and 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 um, who am I forgetting? Jalen Brown sticks around. Uh, Jalen Brown, just just yeah. some solid plays. Did you feel like the Jalen Brown was was a, a a bit of an overpay, or do you not mind paying linebackers? Where's the where's the thought process on that one? You know, I, I really thought Jayon Brown – I honestly thought Jayon Brown was going to get more than what he got um, in free agency initially. I think the coming off of the shoulder injury that cost him uh, most of last season, it, you know, hurt him a little bit on the market. But he is one of the better coverage linebackers in the NFL when he's, yeah. you know, healthy and on the field. Um, and I still think coverage guys get – like you saw Matt Milano got paid – uh, and I feel like Brown is a similar player to Milano. Um, yeah. So I, I don't feel like there's I, – I, I would say Milano is probably a little bit better, but I don't think there's a huge gap. I think they're similar style. I think they're not too far off uh, each other from quality uh, standpoint. And Brown only, only ended up getting, I think, $5 million-ish 
Um, and they put some void years on it and stuff like that to keep the cap hit low. Um, but he'll be back in free agency next year. It'll be interesting to see the kind of season he has. Cause he, when he's been right, he's been one of their best playmakers on defense. Um, and he's, you know, he put up big interception numbers, sack numbers, fumbles. He, he's kind of a guy that can create some chaos in the middle of that defense. Frankly, I feel like he's been much, much better than Rashawn Evans, who to me is the biggest liability remaining on the Titans defense. Um, at least when you put the starters on paper, um, you could probably say corner uh, is the other spot because um, we just don't know. There's so many un- variables there which we'll talk about in a minute but uh evans has been a disappointment and he still hasn't figured out how to cover anybody or even how to drop into space and and cause any sort of issue uh for the quarterback he just seems lost in coverage and he seems now it almost seems like he's hesitant uh in his decision making and his trigger which was kind of like the the selling point for him it's like yeah He's not going to drop into coverage and, and be able to handle anything uh, in the passing game, but at least when people try to run on him, he'll trigger and, and go blow it up. But he, he really didn't do that last year either. So it's a contract year for him. They declined his fifth-year option. Um, it, it's a big season. Like This is his make or break, really, for his career, I feel like. I mean, he, he'll probably get a, a second contract from somebody, but how big that contract is depends entirely on how what kind of steps he takes this year. Yeah, drafted Monty Rice, too, who will put some pressure yep. on. I, I liked Monty in the process. So talk D, DBs. I mean, some big changes have occurred. I think if you're looking at one area where, um, you know, with every team has an area where you just got to see it on the field to figure it out, it's a lot of questions in the secondary. So talk to me about how you guys are feeling about uh, those key four, and, and, and we could probably throw in the nickel there, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, it, you know. The, the Titans defense last year, it's like, you know, you, you, you have two spots where you have to be good on defense, right? You have to be able to rush the passer and you have to be able to cover, um, you know, it, you stop the run in between that you'll be okay. But, um, it, it's the Titans had zero pass rush, um, outside of Landry, um, which we just talked about and their coverage, they had Malcolm Butler on one side who played good football for them, uh, last year. But Adoree Jackson got hurt before the first week of the season, didn't end up playing until week 15, and was not, it was a shell of himself when he was out there on the field. He had a, a, some sort of strange knee issue uh, that was very mysterious, that we never knew when he was going to come back or if he was going to come back. And he would just show up to practice one day and then he'd be gone the next. And it was just an experience with him, which, you know, obviously led to him being released uh, during the offseason. But, um, yeah, they got nothing from him. They, uh, you know, had Jonathan Joseph. They released him during the middle of the season because he, you know, was too old to cover anybody. Uh, and they ended up playing guys like Breon Borders, who was a practice squad guy, Chris Jackson, who was a seventh-round rookie. Um, they ended up playing those guys a lot of snaps because, in like I mentioned with Darrington Evans, Christian Fulton, their second round pick, who they had kind of planned to pencil in at, at that nickel spot uh, last year got hurt in training camp, struggled to stay on the field, was kind of in and out of the lineup uh, just because of injuries throughout the year. And, and it left them with basically one corner uh, effectively for most of the season. They ended up picking up Desmond King halfway through the year um, you know, for a trade, uh, but that was 
a weird scheme fit because they want to run a lot of man coverage and he is a zone, almost just a pure zone, uh, nickel. Um, and so it's a weird scheme fit. He was a better player than the guys that they were running out there. So I guess I understand why they did it, but it, it just, it, it didn't click to a, a strong degree here for him either. So I almost feel like they can't help, but be better this year. They, they certainly threw a lot of new bodies at it. They've got Janoris Jenkins, um, to kind of taking over the Malcolm Butler spot as, as the veteran. Um, and, and Jenkins played really good football for the saints last year. I, I still think he's got something left in the tank, uh, you know, to, to be, play at a high level. Um, the question will be who those other two corners are in the rotation. I, I think they expect Fulton to be either the starter outside or in the nickel. I think they would probably in their dream scenario, Caleb Farley, their first round pick, um, starts outside and Fulton starts inside and you've got, you know, Jenkins, your 29 or 2020, uh, second rounder and your 2021 first rounder at the corner spots. And, and I think they'd be pretty happy with that. Farley to me is a, a tremendous talent. He's obviously coming off the back issue, which is the only reason he was available at pick 22, um, but we'll see when he gets out there. We still haven't seen him out on the field yet. Uh, training camp's about to start. I think he's expected to start on PUP and, and maybe work his way into training camp, uh, within the first couple weeks, but we'll see when we, uh, actually see him on a, on a practice field. But, uh, they also drafted Elijah Molden in the, uh, into the third round who I think could be in the mix, um, as well. So, They've got, a, you know, basically their top four, you know, Fulton basically, you know, hardly played last year. So all of their top four are essentially new faces at the cornerback spot. Um, and that's going to be, I think, one of the biggest questions is, is how does that group come together? Um, how good can they be? And, and you know, are the rookies going to be ready to play at a high level early on? Because I think they need to be uh, for this defense to, to be able to, bounce back from a terrible year last year. Um, and then behind those guys, Kevin Byard, uh, you know, returns again as, as their uh, as one of the two safeties, um, coming off a down year, you know, he didn't have a great season. I think he was affected by the loss of Dean Pease. I think he was affected by the fact that he had almost no help around him. There was no pass rush. The corners were terrible. Um, so I, I think his down year was part, partially just him being stretched too thin and partially a, a loss of a veteran defensive coordinator. Uh, and then the new starter for safeties for them is Amani hooker who has played in their three safety sets, uh, for the last two years, um, spelled Kenny Vaccaro when he was out of the lineup, uh, considerably last year and hooker tied for the team lead in interceptions last year with four and played really good football for them. Uh, so I think he's going to step in and honestly, I, I kind of feel like he's going to be an upgrade over Vicaro, who simply just couldn't run towards the end. In fact, you probably remember the play against the Browns when Vicaro uh, recovered a fumble um, late in that game when the Titans were trying to, you know, come back and make it close at the end. Um, he recovered a fumble, took off, and and was almost like comically chased down. I, I think he had like a ten yard start on everybody and uh, was chased down with like twenty yards to spare. 
uh, before, you know, on a play that he probably should have scored on, but it looked like he was dragging a leg out there. Um, and so yeah, I think Hooker, that was Baker Baker's fumble on the uh, quarterback's yes, if I recall. That's it. Yep, yep. Yep. That's it. Um, and so Hooker's going to be represent a pretty big step up in athleticism, uh, at that second safety spot. And I think that'll help them coverage wise in the secondary. Well, good to know. There's some, there's plenty of information we just learned, that will point the Browns in the right direction. I know we don't run into each other in the regular season for the first time in a long time, uh, it feels like, but there could hopefully be something at the end in the playoffs, which would be great. So so give me your quickly your prediction of the Titans this year. What do you think they go? We will refer to this and come back and, and, and tweet at you uh, later. No, I'm just kidding. Just kind of general, I mean, I, I, this is the time of year where everybody's as positive as possible, but I think the people who seem to... Sure watch their team every day, have a really good outlook on this thing. So I'm curious what you think their record looks like. Yeah, I think they're going to be somewhere around 12 and five. Um, I, I think the team uh, roster wise is better uh, than they were last year. It will be hard for the defense to be worse. Um, so if the defense gets even just marginally better and last year I kept saying, you know, look, if the defense was just average, this team would be really, really good. Um, we're not asking them to be the, the steel curtain. They just have to be decent. Um, if they can go from horrific to average or even slightly below average, because frankly, the 2000, uh, the 2019, 2018 Titans defenses were, you know, about, you know, 16th to 20th range, uh, you know, according to most metrics and, and really, I think that's probably a pretty fair ranking of where they stacked up in the NFL. If you could get back to that and your offense is, is, you know, just added Julio Jones to a core that has been putting up 30 points a game for two years now. Um, I think you're absolutely a contender in the AFC and with the, you know, two, you know, trash cans in the division and, uh, Jacksonville and Houston, you should pick up four wins right off the bat uh, with those two. I know divisional games never, you know, tend to be that easy, even even when they are on, on paper. But you know, you'd be very disappointed to lose to either of those teams. I feel like uh, this year, and and the Colts, they're they're a challenger, I think. But it, I, I guess, pencil me down as, as somebody who wants to see it from Carson Wentz before I'm going to believe that he's back to, you know, 2017 form uh, at this point. Uh, likewise, I, I need to see a lot from Carson Wentz. And they have some holes that are just, I think they're a year away, year or two away, and then they need to see what Carson has. So it's it's, it's certainly the Titans' division to win, and uh, I, I'm sure the odds are high Cleveland can run into them in the playoffs if Cleveland finds their way back. Real quick before we go, I like unfiltered opinions of the Browns rostered. You know, everybody who listens to this podcast hears me ramble on. Sometimes I think it's good to hear from people who don't cover the team outside perspective. What do you think uh, Cleveland has to work with this year? I mean, I, I love the offense, right? I mean, probably the best offensive line in football, um, if not the best, you know, right right there knocking on the door. Um, you've got the two running backs. I, I think Baker showed something last year. And, and, you know, sometimes a guy, it takes a little bit of time and then the light clicks on. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if that stretch over the back half of last year was the light clicking on and staying on for Baker or if it was just a hot stretch because – you know, we did see a hot stretch with Mariota here, and then he went back. Um, so, you know, it'll be interesting to see with Baker. I, I tend to think it was the light clicking on and that he's going to be um, at least an above-average quarterback, if not a very good quarterback, 
for you guys uh, this year. He's got the the support system around him is great, right? I mean, Stefanski, you've got the offensive line, you've got the two running backs, you've got Jarvis Landry, you've got really good tight ends, uh, you've got Odell Beckham, you know, hopefully uh, staying healthy this year. Um, it, that is our great infrastructure. <laughs> and I mean, even guys like, um, did Rashard Higgins end up coming back? He did. He did. They signed. Okay. Back yeah. I like Rashard Higgins too. That was a guy that I was hoping the Titans would sign in free agency. So, um, I, I love the offensive roster. I think the defense, you know, you've got the stars, you've got miles Gary, you've got Denzel Ward. Uh, I like the John Johnson signing quite a bit. Um, Clowney will be interesting to see. Um, obviously I, I think, the Browns are kind of like there's a lot of mirrors with with the Browns and the Titans scheme wise on offense, you know, everything like that. But I also think, you know, that's kind of defensively is kind of where the question marks lie um, for you guys. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how that secondary comes together. I know that's kind of been a, a a sore spot over the last few years, and and you know, you you try to fix stuff like that, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but the Titans and, and the Browns are kind of in the same boat there, uh, trying to trying to remake a secondary. But I guess you guys are at least starting with Denzel Ward, which is a better spot uh, to start off with than what the Titans had. So, um, yeah, I, I think the Browns are the favorites to win the division. Frankly, um, I would have them just a little bit above the Ravens, uh, and, and you know, I think I think the Steelers are crashing back to earth. I, I think it's it's. I, I think the Steelers are not going to be a playoff team. Um, so I think it's, it's Browns Ravens for the AFC North and, and I would probably lean Browns. It's hard. It's hard to see with, I mean, for us having seen Pittsburgh so good for so long, it's hard for me to sit here and say those guys who haven't had a losing record in forever are going to be really bad, but it's just like, I just don't see it with Ben. I just don't know how they get there with him and what he limits them. And, and if you're going to take him out of those limitations, uh, and put him into situations that stress his body, he's going to get hurt. He's he's too fragile. Anyway, that's a conversation for another yeah. day. Mike, this was, like, fantastic, man. Best one we've had in terms of sheer depth of knowledge, insight. We really, really appreciate it. Tell everybody if they would like to keep up a little bit on their timeline with what the Titans are doing. Tell them where they can find your work and what your Twitter handle is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, on Twitter, at Mike Miracles. Um, you can catch me there. Uh, usually tweeting about Titan stuff. Um, and then uh, as far as writing... Uh, and stuff like that goes broadwaysportsmedia.com we've got all sorts of like tape breakdown um in-depth uh stuff on the titans going you know basically constantly uh year round so everything uh nashville sports over at broadways broadwaysportsmedia.com all right mike we appreciate your time man thank you all right thanks Please, please, please make sure you sign up for the OBR Twitch. Link is again in the description of this podcast. Go check it out. Subscribe so you can see what content we have there coming soon. We are just weeks away. A week away. The 26th. Like, I don't know, eight days. Crazy. It's going to be here before we know it. Make sure, again, you follow that Twitch. Subscribe to it. Subscribe to this podcast so you get it automatically downloaded when every single day content comes out. You'll have a fresh podcast to listen to on your commute at your job, at your workout, whatever. That's always the goal. Good, fresh Browns content for you to listen to and uh, have thoughtful reactions to the conversations that are happening. I hope you do enjoy it. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. Thanks to Mike for joining us and Talking Titans. Have a great Sunday, or whenever you listen to this, have a great day. And as usual, until we talk next time, go Browns.
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.